This episode of the Check Out This Record podcast is brought to you by GuitarExclusive.com. Visit now for buying guides, reviews, and more. GuitarExclusive.com. Hello there, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to your favorite rock, rock, rock and roll podcast. Check out this record. My name is Frank, and with me is my good buddy, Marvelous Mark. Oh, Frankie, you're too kind. Isn't he, listeners? Yep, he sure is. Hey, that's a great point. No one likes a show off, though, Larry, so maybe tone it down a little bit. <laughs> what were we talking about, Frank? Well, we were talking about how you could find this show, right, on uh-huh. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh-huh. Amazon Music Podcasts. And these mugs right here mm-hmm. on YouTube. Wow. Now, Frank, uh, and I will be a bit uh, tangled up with, uh, excuse me, no, no, Frank and I will be tangled up in travel over the next uh, couple of weeks coming up. So we, we'll be dropping episodes every other week uh, for the time being. But uh, we promise that they'll be uh, full of the fun, uh, wacky content uh, you've come to know of us. You could say that they'll be uh, packed full of nuts. So uh, just <laughs> be careful and caution. This podcast may contain nuts. Oh, yes, that's right. So it, was, some... it was made on the same cutting board as I made nuts earlier. Yeah. So it's in the same factory is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. I mean, basically, yeah. <laughs> that's that's right. where the nuts come from. That's right. That's right. This is our uh, summer schedule, right? So listen, if you're hearing us for the first time, you may uh, you may genuinely like us. Uh, we've yeah. been called, uh, just so you know, musical snobs, elitist, even hipsters. As if. <laughs> and I like to think of us actually as two Matt Pinfields sitting in a Peapod, Mark. Uh, that's uh-huh. Lifeline is contingent on listening to records. So that's how I always <laughs> viewed us. Now, that didn't make sense, I know. But we yeah. listen, we review records here track by track, and we have lots of musical discussions. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do spotlight episodes, might even include some mysteries, and we've only begun to scratch the surface. Uh, and I'm happy to say that uh-huh. uh, based on our recent discoveries, we, we've right. had some good stuff. Right, Mark? Oh, yeah, totally. Now, uh, be sure to check out our verse series where we'll pit like uh, like two bands or albums or uh, two people we found illegally smuggled into this country uh, against each other <laughs> and make them duke it out for something we like to call total stereo. Domination. How was that so, one? So good. So good. Thank you. Love it. Love it. I was nervous. Oh, you shouldn't be, pal. Okay. Love it. Great tone. Thank you. Great delivery. Uh Uh-huh. I just love it. Oh, good. Good. (laughs) So be sure to check us on Instagram, Facebook group. Hopefully these episodes will leave you wanting more of our musical goodness. Uh Mark's Mark's random nonsense. And of course, if you have a record you want us to check out, drop us a comment wherever you find us while you're like it, uh, while you're there, like, subscribe, give us a review. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm going to say this right now, Mark, listen, last week when I mentioned soul asylum to you, Uh You said, shut the front door. You're going to make me listen to Soul Asylum. I did say um, that. So admit it, my Siamese twin, you thought some more hair follicles fell off my head and, and I just got a little nutty there for a second, right? <laughs> I, I, I have to be honest with you. I had uh, no idea who Soul Asylum uh, really was as a band. Um, I think they were, uh, I, I just thought they were some dudes who cashed in on uh, that kind of late 80s ballads thing. That um, like you give a bunch of ugly dudes uh, some acoustic guitars and long hair, and they're gonna make a ballad and uh and and they'll be successful. But um, 
you know, or at least in this case, a ballad about runaway kids. Um, but I, I just couldn't have been more wrong about what this band is. And I would just like to take a second to say, so as I was kind of doing uh, some background and some listening to the band's like overall discography this week, um, we, we got to talk about Runaway Runaway Train just like a little bit, right? Oh, so, of like, course. It was this massive hit. It turns out they put out like 12 different versions of that video so that around the world, it would match with people who were missing from that area. Absolutely. And in, and in the United States, there was something like three or four different versions, something like that. So that look like regionally people would know of people missing in their neighborhoods. And they found like a bunch of those kids that were missing or lost or like it made like a, an actual gigantic impact in the world. So like, absolutely. As much as I like didn't listen to that band because I thought they cashed in on having an acoustic guitar and being pretty. Um, <laughs> look, they did, they did a great uh, service of good to the world. I think we owe them uh, some great, I'm sure there's some families out there that owe them a great deal of uh, gratitude. And uh, I don't think we should look past that. That said, yeah, uh, I should have looked past that. Because holy shit, Frank, what is with this band? <laughs> right. So Soul Asylum, right? Runaway Dream. Yeah. Listen, as we said, it's not a bad song at all. And and to note too, the song is actually the intent wasn't for or, or the subject matter initially actually wasn't runaway children. It was about just just Dave Perner's feeling in general. And when they pitched a video idea, it became about that. So there are some right. different facets to the song. And listen, there's other hits from that album too. Uh, somebody to shove and black gold and, and somebody to shove, in my opinion, is, is one of my like, all-time favorite songs i just absolutely wow. love that song yeah it, it, it's it's up there if i had to make like a you know listen i'm saying like top 40 or 50 list of all-time favorite sure. songs it, it's in there um but do most really know um that grave dancers union and yes last week i said grave diggers union so my bad <laughs> my bad on that this was their sixth album six one two three four five six that's six records and two major label stints then the band finally broke, uh, which is kind of how it was back then. Uh, so, so let's do a quick history, Mark. So, 1981 yep. in Minneapolis, uh, we have uh, Dave Perner on guitar and vocals, Dan Murphy on guitar and backing vocals, Carl Mueller on bass, Pat Morley on drums. They were known as Loud Fast Rules. Loud Fast Rules. Uh, Morley would later be replaced by uh, Grant Young in '84. Uh, they were a punk band, and as you get it, they were trying to make loud fast tunes right Perner after a while didn't like the specific rules of punk and how it was more about the fashion at the time mm -hmm. right because it was put in a box even though the music's not supposed to be about being put in a box right <laughs> um and of course the fashion thing which obviously he didn't look like that uh, so he wanted to venture into different styles and soul asylum was born being from minneapolis of course we have to mention the replacements in husker do uh uh Perner will say that the uh, replacements or the mats were already jaded and told them uh, that being in a band sucks. But the Huskers, however, uh, were very nurturing to them. So Bob Mould from Husker Do uh, actually produced the band's first record in 84. Uh, Save what you will. Clarence Carl stole the truck. The name of that record. Yep. <laughs> in 86, they released an album, album number two, uh, Made to be Broken, also produced by Bob Mould. And that's a good record, too, by the way. Just, it is. Um, also in 86, they released later that year while you were out. Uh, they began non-stop touring uh they opened for husker do and they gained lots of exposure fans were really digging their on-stage swagger and their midwestern appearance while making loud music that had elements of punk hardcore hell man even country right mm -hmm. then in 88 we get this record hang time on a m records so i got a two-part question for you mark because i know how much you love two-part questions yes i do 
So first impressions with the record. Uh-huh. And why is there so much interesting and fascinating music wedged into this mid to late 80s time frame that, that most are just not aware of? Hell, we weren't aware of. Yeah, okay. So um, <laughs> one, uh, my first reaction was, uh, what this shit is this? Fugazi meets grunge meets cowpunk? <laughs> With this really like tongue in cheek pop self awareness, yeah. First impression, I I was intrigued to to get deeper for sure. Uh, and as for for B, um, I think of you, uh, yeah. You and I are the right age for having missed this. Right? Yeah. We we needed siblings like five or so years older than we than we actually had. Not that either of our older siblings were in the wrong they just weren't in that right spot to to have found something like this right which is really interesting just because you know with you and i being our late 30s early 40s we were just missing when this would have been something that we would have found kind of off the mainstream totally. uh, and it and it you know 1984 when you're or excuse me 1988 when you're six to eight to nine years old you're you're gonna miss this yeah you know it's just kind of like there's no unless you happen to have super cool parents that happen to be really into alternative music you're just not going to hear this for a while so i think i think that's why we've missed it and i think that's why what you and i are seeing is that pocket of the late 80s early 90s is exactly it because really you and i come into musical consciousness somewhere around 1994 right correct absolutely Nailed nailed it so everything from like really i mean Anything alternative 85 to 93, it's fair game that we missed. <laughs> yeah, that actually, and that's the perf- that's actually the exact time frame I'm referring to. And, and that band I've been into recently too, then White Rope, they're yeah. around from like that time period, 85 to like 93. So there you, <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Oh man, that, that's a great explanation. Um, all right, and Mark, you ready to, to kickstart this party? Yeah. Yeah, I am. Uh, I am ready, ready? for this. this okay. part. I wrote something else that I didn't end up reading. Oh. And I was like, maybe I should read that. And I was like, it you makes no sense now. No, we're good. Okay, party right, on, so, party on. <laughs> <laughs> uh huh. Uh huh. So, uh-huh. so let's get into the album. Um, first track you put on, down on up to me. Mm-hmm. Wow. What a way to kick off the album. Uh, it's not just your three-chord song. We get riffs, uh, almost a hardcore backbeat. Uh, I, I know to the West in Seattle, grunge, the rumblings were gaining momentum. But, Mark, this certainly has some of that flavor, uh, along with some other spices on there. I really mm-hmm. dug this opening track. Mark, what about you? Yeah, again, I was expecting f- kind of a <laughs> five acoustic guitars. I wasn't. I really wasn't trying to swear there. Uh, five acoustic <laughs> guitars and a mellow drummer uh, and got this really fun, almost Alice in Chains riff yeah. right up front with this really cool kind of Fugazi driving drums uh, that create an energy that just really sucks you in. You really find yourself tapping along to this record when it's grooving. Yeah, I really dig this track. One of the things I found myself really uh, appreciating about this album is the way he uses kind of too many words. Uh, most of the time uh, when he's singing here um, like this song in particular might actually work better as uh, down on to me rather than down on up to me but it's that extra bit of kind of wordplay that keeps it tied to the kind of like the the excess of the music if that makes sense Frank yeah because um, at first I was kind of annoyed with it and I'm like man he's really just using too many words here uh, when he could be saying less words to say the same thing and then I just realized that that's kind of the way 
he verbalizes. Right. And, and so it's okay that he doesn't do it the way I would, right? Because that's just the kind of his, what's unique about his songwriting style is his little bit of too much wordiness. Yeah. And I thought this was just a great example of that. Yeah. Uh, absolutely absolutely and if you listen to him chat too or talk you know he's got a very deep almost baritone voice and he does he talks very methodically too so that could part that could even be part of it too um we get to track two little too clean you know at first listen i was like you know the dirt repetition is gonna make me not like this song but at the like seriously at the fifth listen i was like okay this track is great there's lots going on you got a riffy verse you get an open uh power pop chorus you got a rock and roll middle eight Uh, i mean they're throwing lots in here and then the dirt that ties into the little too clean Uh, i really like you know dirt will find you dirt reminds you that dirt will always be there uh mark are, are you a little too clean? I think so, but I'm probably not as clean as I want to think I am. <laughs> Anyways, you know what I, now that I think about this, uh, the that, and, and I listen to this song, um, I instantly, uh, I kind of like it a little bit more, right? Yeah. Because, because it is kind of that universal thing of like, well, I think I'm clean. And then every time you look, you got to wash your hands again, right? Like, so it really is a lot more, substantial than kind of what's on the surface with this song because i was on the fence about it for a little while there the power pop in the middle is a little just too over the top for me mm-hmm. um and i just didn't care for it lyrically like i said it was just a little too silly and a little too over the top um but it does kind of work in a weird way which it does it, it's kind of odd it, it's just it's really kind of a cool song it's got lots of fun parts to it um i i see why people like this it, yeah. it may not necessarily be for me but but i definitely get it it's cool well, we get track three, Sometime re- to Return, one of the singles mm-hmm. here. And there's also a video. Uh, and in that video, it's cool because it just captures that late 80s essence uh, of life. And it's very Matt style with Perner channeling his inner Westerberg. Or is he? Now, this is the part where, I mean, they were around during the same time doing their thing. So maybe Dave Perner is just channeling his inner Perner, right? And, it, and it's, yeah. it's a great tune here. Total single uh, single appeal here. Uh, Mark, will you be returning to uh, listen to this track sometime soon? Oh uh, yeah, I will. <laughs> uh, first off, I, I love this placement after a really kind of untraditionally structured little too clean. We get this kind of classic eighties pop rock and roll tune here that fits kind of feels kind of perfectly lived in. Excuse me. Uh, these two songs are meant to be kind of back to back on this record. They're like their symmetry to each other really uh, hard to, to verbalize as you guys can hear me stuttering over this, but it, it's really interesting. The juxtaposition between the two of them is probably the right way to say it. Whereas the last song kind of feels like that, um, or excuse me, a little too clean, feels a little bit like that Fugazi, almost jazz um, of connecting pieces that manage to stack together. This feels very classic old school building a Lincoln log um, kind of song here, but yeah. it really works. And I think the positioning of them together really helps makes each other shine as to how good the opposite was, because you see that they're not just doing one thing. Okay. They're doing two really separate styles really beautifully. It's an amazing track uh, at this point. I'm just not sure what to expect next out of the album, especially on that first playthrough. Uh, but I couldn't be more excited. I just uh, so much fun. And this track to re-listen to, you just keep pulling all these great little details out of both yeah. of them. Um, I hope my Lincoln log and Tetris stack uh, didn't <laughs> confuse people. What I'm trying to say is uh, both songs rule. This one is is actually really great. It's one of my favorites on the the, the album uh, because I like when they just kind of do this straightforward rock and roll. And right. uh, it just really works beautifully for me. 
Absolutely. This, and thus far, the sequence, the sequencing of the songs, I think, has been has been great. Um, yeah. Track four, Cartoon, another single here penned by actually lead guitarist Stan Murphy, could be one of the most important tracks for me on this record. Uh, and what? What? It's nothing fancy <laughs> musically. Listen, it's your C to D to G and then to the E minor. Oh, of course. Uh, yeah. call, call it alternative. Call it college rock. I personally don't care what you call it because this really focuses on like, uh, to me, like a com- coming of age um, time frame mixed with some confusion. At least that's what I was gathering from it. Mm-hmm. Um, you're, you know, you're in the movies now and I'm in your cartoon. I love that line. Um, Mark, what cartoons are you watching and perhaps living in? Well, you, sir, are definitely the John Artbuckle to my life as Garfield, the lovable lasagna eating orange cat. <laughs> um, that said, I, I also love this track. Uh, and another life, this was a traditional seafaring tune, like uh, like some old she shanty in the 1600s. This would have been just a perfect tune for those guys to be singing. Yeah. Um, but uh, here it is, you know, 1986. Uh, 88, 88, 88. Um, just kind of like this awesome tune. Um, could you imagine, Frank? Yes. A hundred years from now or whenever, mm-hmm. uh, when when the thing that takes over podcasts uh, 35 years from now, when that thing gets taken over uh, and two gleep glops or whatever the future looks like <laughs> are, are doing a podcast on old music that they found. And they're like, they find this record and they're like, what are cartoons? Yeah. What oh are movies? God. Yes. And it's just like because everything's just digitally like the stories are just put into their brains. Oh my god! And reality is boring and like, totally. It's gonna be crazy, man. It's gonna be nutty. Uh huh. And oh, the song totally rules. <laughs> there you go. Oh, I love it. Track five, beggars, <laughs> beggars and choosers. Wow. Uh-huh. Listen, what a what a burner this song is. Mm-hmm. Like nice and loud with uh, a catchy as hell chorus. Beggars, choosers, vultures, scavengers, uh, evangelist in Italian. We call them moochers. Uh, so it may be beggars and choosers. You know, one of the mm-hmm. same with these characteristics of control. Listen, regardless, it may not even mean that. But Mark, I absolutely love this track. What do you think of this track? Great track. Yeah, I, I really dig this track, Frank. It's got this amazing frantic energy, but it's hyper focused on what it's trying to do which is kind of where I thought this song was going uh, pretty close to what you were thinking, discussing the, the franticness of life and control. Yeah. Right. And coincidence and everything, Frank, it's about right. all Frank, mm. all mm. Uh, moving on uh, really <laughs> cool track. Uh, not one to skip over for sure. I really think uh, you'll definitely dig checking out beggars and choosers. It's got great poppiness to it. I love yeah. It. Yeah. Great, great track. Six, Endless Farewell. Uh, great placement being dead smack in the middle of the album. So at first I was like, okay, this is going to be the one where it loses me and then the rest of the album won't be able to recover. Sometimes that's the initial thoughts I have when uh, on any album when I'm not mm-hmm. digging a certain track after I've liked the, the tracks that came before it. Uh, looking back on the initial reaction, I was wrong. I think this is very ballsy of a track uh, mm-hmm. and it helped the band. I'm sure, of course, later down the road when the 90s came along. Uh, Mark, did this seem endless to you or were you you into it uh, i don't love this one but it's a solid little number uh for sure i just didn't do much uh excuse me it didn't just do much for me <laughs> uh, i agree uh i like the choice to put the slower number right here in the middle uh leaves the back and forth uh excuse me 
it leaves the back half of the album really in limbo as to, especially on your first time listening, what is going to happen next? Because this album has all been about surprises. Um, and, you know, like, honestly, like, it, it leaves me asking myself, what the fuck is on the Solicile album? <laughs> because how is the Solicile? I didn't get it. Um, but it's interesting to me, right? Because I really would have expected that when they slowed down, I was going to get an earlier version of Runaway Train. And I right. really didn't, which nope. I liked. I liked that it wasn't just like, the, like, oh, here are all the softballs they hit up until they hit the speedball. That <laughs> right. Apart, right. I really, I, I didn't want that. And I didn't get that. So again, I didn't love this song, but it works here. And I, yeah. I can see what people get, get into about it. Yeah, totally. Totally. Track seven, Standing in the Doorway, another single and another really good rocking song. I, I really enjoyed how this album just to me didn't let up. Uh, Mark, how you doing over there? Are you standing in the doorway to come back uh, for this or are you wanting that one way out, my friend? Uh, I'm not going out there, Frank. <laughs> it's safe to say I'm paranoid. Uh, man, this is such a great track. I it really, is. Uh, if you ever felt like you're going crazy, uh, you will see understand this song implicitly like you really will uh really stunning songwriting here i just really this to me i think was probably my favorite track on the album frank right. um i really appreciate the introspectiveness of the the vocals i really appreciate uh kind of that post hardcore groove that they get in but they yeah. never really overcomplicate it like they do in some of the other songs not that that overcomplication doesn't work but they kept it simple here and it, it really, really works. Uh, Standing in the Doorway is a fantastic tune. And I wish I wish this was a song people knew for the band for. Oh, yeah. Uh, not that not that those other songs aren't great. No, this song's amazing. Like this should have been a single. This would have blown the doors off in 1988. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, we get track eight, Marionette. Uh, I think this is another important song here for the genre that's to come, in my opinion. First of all, I, I'm always a sucker for the puppet analogy because it could be applicable to a lot of areas in life. Uh, musically, it's it's tame verses with a with a hook chorus. And again, it's part of a recipe that I think in three to four years, that's kind of what people start using. Uh, plus, uh, based on where the band go will go musically, I'm sure this helped them get there. Uh, mark your thoughts on Marionette. Yeah, this is uh, another one I didn't really care for. Um, I get the analogy. Right. And I even get why he has to be so kind of on the nose with it. Mm -hmm. But it feels outdated even for the late 80s to me. Mm -hmm. um, plus, the middle part really could have used uh, some cool solos. Right. But they just kind of had nothing at the moment and kind of left it nothing. I really like there's a spot in the middle there. It's probably just a nice little bridge where yeah. a cool saxophone solo or a guitar solo would have gone over gangbusters. My opinion, a horn section is never going to hurt you. No, but can't go wrong with the horns. <laughs> but in this particular case, it, it just felt like it was missing a little bit of something. This is the only kind of like hard skip for me on the album. After I listen to it a few times, once it starts going, I get, I get about 10 seconds in and I'm <laughs> skipping this one. There you go. There you go. Every album has to have something. We yeah. skip, right? <laughs> well, well yeah. More or less. Track nine is Ode. Uh, Mark, can, can we say hardcore here? Um, but man, like the band does such a good job blending like these melodic verses all while keeping an edge while Perner is just belting out lyrics uh, about someone they knew who ended up a uh, casualty to their wallowing in this downworld spiral. Mm -hmm. Mark, Mark, are you digging Ode? Because I was. Uh, you know, you said that and I, I, you and I can think of a lot of people that describes, man. No, oh, uh, that's definitely, true. <laughs> definitely clocking in the early uh, melodic hardcore idea here for sure. Uh, but it also blends in nicely 
to the to the kind of the metal that was going on yeah. and growing at that time. Uh, not so much the hair metal, obviously, but some of the stuff that was kind of growing in the background. Right. Still a very cool number, and I like that uh, they use a uh, as a framing device for for cooler small parts uh, in and out, especially as we get towards the end. Um, there's uh, they're great at those kind of tight integral parts back to back to back, and and I really kind of love that. It really shows off this band's technical abilities musically. Um, and it's just very cool. I think it's yeah. a very cool song. Absolutely. We get track 10, Jack of All Trades. This, this is the punk rock song, right? Right. Uh, I, I love how it's the only one of its kind on the album. It really makes it unique and stand out. You get nice punchy verses and then a hard left turn for this middle breakdown. That's almost like a folk country song. So if slowed down and then bam, right back into the musical chaos uh, and, and just wait for this breakdown. It comes back and we even get like a harmonica. Uh, I really think it's a good song. Mark, uh, you like Jack and his trades. Yeah, I really do. Uh, it's got that kind of punch right up front and that cool change up for the breakdown that you're talking about. I really yep, liked yep. it. Was uh, was cool. Again, uh, the energy here is amazing. Really pulls you and gets you toe tamping. Uh, lyrically, I'm not loving it, but at the same time, I don't have anything against it. Right. Um, it was just a little kind of run of the mill too, um, right. to me lyrically. But overall, it's a cool too. Yeah. Yep. Totally. Track 11, Twiddly D. Twiddly D. Twiddly D. Fun folk country tune here at the Hope Town. <laughs> uh, and years to come, actually, Perner will suffer a broken eardrum uh, from the loud music. So he began listening to Dylan and Leonard Cohen, which obviously made its way into uh, Grave Dancers. Uh, however, you could tell with a title track like this that it's something they wanted to touch on. Mark, are you square dancing here or what, my friend? Uh, you know, I can eat a dosey dough, uh, but I don't know that I can dance one, Frank. Um, nice. Uh, this one it threw me off a bit at first, but when you take a look at this whole album, it really does fit just so nicely. I think the guys, uh, like you and me, Frank, uh, this is a clear nod uh, to Roots music, and yes. it's uh, really awesome that the band makes time to put this on the album. And honestly, it makes the band and this album a little bit more endearing to me. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. for sure. Track 12, Heavy Rotation, even though it's not mm -hmm. the last track, I, I think of it always as the closing. It's the last track. Yeah, no, it's, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, how can you not? Uh, this is like being chased with a drill, right? <laughs> stopped because you're out of breath. And while it pierces through you, uh, there's a piece. Um, there's a inner piece because this song is playing during the whole sequence. Uh, Mark, is this tune in heavy rotation for you? <laughs> I love that you wrote that for yourself that I Thank didn't have you. to write that and try to trick you into reading it. <laughs> um, yes. Yes. And, and the only thing better than this song is that review of it. Holy shit, Ooh. dude. I love the way uh, they're attacking these instruments, adding a huge punch of, of post-punk aggression uh, in here at the end of the record. Oh my God. The closing dude. line. I'm just trying to live with the way I am, I am, I am. Uh, Talk about burning down the stage at the end of a show. Man, Woo! I know. This should be the, the closer, really, at the end of every yeah. show. <laughs> so, the so, Frank, why don't you cover us on the bonus track? Okay, well, Mark, it's called... <laughs> Put the bone in. It's a cover tune, actually, by Terry Jacks, who I'm not overly familiar with. I mean, I'm smiling during Nor this I. right here. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I could just imagine uh, the lady in this story uh, saying, put the bone in to her old little doggy. Uh, I'm sensing a metaphor here, but nevertheless, it's a fun closer. Mark, uh, I won't ask you if you're putting the bone in because that just sounds weird. So do you dig this? <laughs> you know, I waited the whole episode for you to ask me that one question. Oh, man. It's a great bone us track. I'll tell you that. <laughs> it really um, 
It feels like a, a post-credit kind of bonus scene from a fun movie you just saw. Like, imagine the last thing you saw was the screen fade to black as the speakers fell over onto the drums uh, with the band underneath it. And then the song starts. And as like, as you're just kind of s- sitting there in the theater, like this little campfire comes in front of you. Right. Oh. And it's just like, it's a little bonfire. They started inside the drum set and they're so just good. sitting around it, singing like a little, like this cute little song as the fucking credits roll. It's perfect. Right. <laughs> it is actually it's perfect. It's, it's, it, it's exactly that. And it's, it's a really good time. It's a really sweet little old timey song that like yeah. really feels good. Really just kind of makes you makes you appreciate that this band is having as much fun as they can. Uh, and you could tell they are, yeah. While creating this music. I, I really dug it. Uh, I think it's the perfect way to end this. Absolutely. Whoo, wowie, Mark. That was a you know interesting episode. Uh uh-huh. why don't you give us your final final thoughts on the record? I genuinely really dig this album and I have had a blast getting into their catalog. Uh, old and new, uh, there's some really great stuff in there. Um, okay, so I'm talking about uh, taking a super late pass here on Soul Asylum, which I think is, is fair. Um, and if you are too, this is a place to start, right? This record does a little of everything and really shows off how versatile the band is. Um, you'll be razzle-dazzled by how slickly 80s pop it was and you'll and you never noticed it. And you'll just be like, I, I'm so razzle-dazzled. I can't believe I'm trying to make that a catchphrase. And I'd be like, yeah, dude, I'm totally trying to make that a catchphrase. This is going to, that's right. This is going to grab uh, an eight out of me, despite the fact that I hard skip Marionette uh, more Which and more. Which is track often. number eight, ironically. But Yeah. Um, but that said, uh, I can see uh, the obvious line many people uh, will make between uh, Jack of all trades and that old saying, uh, Jack of all trades, master of none. And this album um, with it being so eclectic, but I really think it's a bit too on the nose. They really do all of these styles. Great justice. They do all the songs. Uh, really great justice. Um, I really can't just say enough like good things. Like, yeah, they make some choices I disagree with. Uh, but overall, uh, this is a really solid record. And uh, I think if you, if you skipped on Soul Asylum because you thought that they were just that 90s band who did a power ballad, there's so much more and there's so much more yeah. interesting. Definitely check them out and pick up this record if you can find it because I will be. Yeah, absolutely. Hands down. Uh, well, you know, the last three episodes have been some of my favorites and we're uh-huh. almost, you know, we're 80 episodes into this. And I love what? that we're finding, I know, these hidden gems and also uh-huh. at the same time finding out about ourselves uh-huh. uh, with all the excess bands in the 90s. Uh, Soul Asylum was one of those that I I was always OK with admitting to liking. Um, and now that sentiment has been completely cemented by this album, Hang Time. Sure. I mean, listen, four albums in and the band was still just in that self-discovering mode and this album could have been their coming of age uh not only are the tracks here great uh this record you don't get tired of it or exhaust that exhausted at all uh maybe it's because of the humble nature of perner in general and him not being like some sort of poster child to save a generation um mm-hmm. you know he's all about the music and he just wanted to write good tunes and it showed here yeah. this display of rock pre-alternative punk melodic hardcore even country mm-hmm. uh, as i mentioned to you mark my initial reaction uh was to say that they pulled a page from you know husker do and and the mats but but again this is this is incorrect they were right smack in the middle contributing big time to a scene and the sound that could rival what was going on on the coasts um right 
So yeah, Soul Asylum, they're a popular band. And it's important to note that in the midst of this music being pushed everywhere, uh, they weren't flashy, obviously, in the hair metal way or shiny in a in a new way. They were a band that I, I wish they got more attention because of their quality. Uh, yes, Runaway Train may be overplayed and maybe those later albums aren't quite the excitement that these early ones brought. Uh, but for this moment, in 1988, a band normal midwestern boys put out an amazing amazing record mark i give it a strong nine out of ten nice and i'll also be trying to find it as well cool so top 10 all right so since soul asylum got a real got real recognition on album six let's do a top 10 of those who got big maybe after a few records later um you know older than these 20 something year old youtube stars that's what i'm trying to get at so (laughs) mark kick us us off my kids Absolutely. So the first punk kid on my list here is uh, Willie Nelson. Uh, I know I've been torturing you guys by constantly bringing him up uh, and never actually talking about him. But uh, look, he's everyone's favorite stoner farmer grandpa. Yeah. Uh, And what most people don't know is that he was 40 when his album Shotgun Willie cracked the Hot 100. That's right. 1973's Shotgun Willie was the legend's 16th record. And the first time... He cracked the Hot 100. That's I, I think he made it into the 40s, but did like just cracked the Hot 100. That's so he probably crazy. wasn't in the 40s. He was 40. I'm just reading something I wrote earlier when I was in a right state of mind. <laughs> but like, how crazy is that? You think of all the hits Willie Nelson has, and you got to remember he never had a, a hit album until his 16th album My in God. 1973. Wow, isn't that crazy? That's insane if you think about it. Bonkers, bonkers. Number nine I have is the band, well, Blondie. Uh, so, mm-hmm. so Deborah Harry was 31 uh, when the band released their first record. <laughs> However, it was album three uh, when they actually saw worldwide success. Right. So, um, you know, now on today's standards, that's like late, right? Because the band yeah. was, was in like their teen, late teens, early 20s. But uh, yeah, Blondie. What about you, pal? Well, check this out. I, I, I'm interested because this was the one that really kind of like I was like, Frank's going to either agree with me, mm-hmm. say that I missed the point or he's going to be like, you're a genius. So, oh, against me. OK. OK. I really debated including this for the list. They fit the form. Uh, amazing catalog before the kind of the breakout record. Right. Which was 2007's New Wave. Now, you and I were familiar with them well before New Wave. You were. Um, and I still think it's one of their least interesting albums. Uh, you know, give me like Disco Before the Breakdown, Crime, yeah. Reinventing Axl Rose, As the Eternal Cowboy, and Searching yeah. for the Former Cloud. Plus there's all those amazing seven inches from before. And I'll be a happy listener never to listen to New Wave again. That said, I don't mind the album. Um, that the, Excuse me, I don't mind the albums that follow it. I just feel like this is a band that commercially wasn't successful until 2007, but you and I happen to recognize them much earlier. Yeah. We got, we got local or we got, we got lucky because locally they were kind of, we were in the right place at the right time. Yeah. But I think against me is one of those bands that for somebody, they think that new wave was where it all started for against me. And it's just so interesting because their records before that are just so powerful. Yeah. And, and that's their best best records right there too yeah so i agree with you because when we first saw them mm-hmm. that momentum was just building but obviously uh searching for a form of clarity well that that wasn't even out and then when we saw them open for foo fighters and or jimmy world and foo fighters they were the first mm-hmm. band there new wave just came out so i think if i could recall 
uh, I'm probably wrong on this, but I think they did all but one song from New Wave. So they basically played yeah. all New Wave. So that audience, what they caught, just to your point, was basically New Wave as their first introduction to to Against right. Me. So yeah, absolutely. They're another band. They put out release after release, good releases after good release. New Wave yep. came, and that's what that's what did it. I mean, you had like people covering that like that whole album. I forgot some guy's name, but I remember he like covered their whole album. So. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Good one. I agree with you on that one. I agree. Okay. Uh, number seven. It's not rock and roll, but Andrea Bocelli. Uh, oh. He was 34 when he released his first album, and at record three, uh, he reached success with a top 10 hit in 10 different countries. Dang. So yeah. So I know not rock and roll, but I wanted to bring him up. So oh, very cool. Uh, number six on the list is uh, Judas Priest. Oh, hello. Little, uh, they got famous for Hellbent for Leather, or at least I would argue that. Uh, but did you know everywhere else, uh, but the US, it was called Killing Machine? Oh, yeah, isn't that cool? Like, we suck so much that they had to change it to Hellbent for Leather from Killing Machine. Um, so, um, anyways, uh, but Hellbent for Leather, housing the song Hellbent for Leather, originally known as Killing Machine in the UK. Um, but that was their fifth album, Frank. Wow. So, like, I think a lot of us get confused, especially with early metal. Now, I know that there are, like, some real, like, priest heads out there shaking their fists at me, calling me a dumbass, saying, <laughs> of course they knew it wasn't. Um, but, look, it was news to me because I've right. always appreciated Judas Priest. I've never been a big priest head. But that's where it starts for me. That's where, like, kind of their icon really begins. So when you look back. Yeah. They had so much more. And I, I did kind of, as we were doing this, I listened through those first four albums pretty fucking cool the yeah. first one's a little weird it's like rock and roll or something like that it's kind of it's kind of weird but it's kind of cool like it's not like trippy or anything it's not like hot wind right, right. but it's it's kind of it's interesting so wow yeah judas priest man yeah that's good one. for love there's number five and really <clears throat> those first few albums pretty crazy yeah what Ooh. you got next I got Leonard Cohen at number five. So debut okay. album at 33, but actually it was 17 years later when he was at 50 years old that mm -hmm. Hallelujah was released. And of course that made him a household name and everyone and their mother covers that song. So they're uh -huh. I mean, 50 years old and that song comes out. Yep. So there you go. What do you got? Yeah. Uh, Queens of the Stonage. Oh, uh, that is Stone Age. Excuse me. <laughs> uh, they already had two really cool albums under their belt yeah. before 2002's A Song for the Deaf, which I happen to have just picked up on vinyl recently. I bet that sounds um, amazing, by the way. It really does, um, which was also super cool. I love that the they got that kind of pop of notoriety um, and have been just happy to go back to the desert and write cool-ass desert rock yeah, and yeah, not yeah. really care what other people think about what they do. There's a great episode of one of those uh, Anthony Bourdain travel shows. I know yep. he did like two or three of them yeah, uh, yeah, where yeah. he goes and he hangs out with Josh from Queens of the Stone Age. Um, and they just like, they go to a flea market and then they make some food and they like, they jam for a little bit. Yeah. And I get it. Like I want to kind of live out in this weird, like desert high country or whatever they call it. And like, play just cool rock and roll that sounds like it's meant for a Camaro. You know that's what I so, mean? That's like, so awesome. Yeah. And that guy seems cool as hell. I remember some, yeah. some other guy was like interviewing him and he's like, so did you like take guitar lessons? And he's like, I learned from an accordion player and they're like, Oh, did, why? And they're like, well, he was the only guy in the desert who like knew music. <laughs> so <he laughs> that's like awesome. an accordion player. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Yeah. That guy seems cool as hell, by the way. Yeah. And, uh, Cool. All right. Number uh, three uh, is actually the guitarist from the band Police. Uh, prior to making it at age uh, 35, 
before that, he was a session guitarist. So 35 is when things started happening for him and joining the police. And I thought that that was pretty interesting. Um, That was he was 35. Mark, what say you? Well, for number two, I picked kind of a double. Uh, Double. It's Bruce Springsteen. So Born to Run was his third album, right? Uh, And Born in the USA was his seventh album. That's true, actually. Yeah. Now, Frank, uh, and I will tell you that each and every one of those first seven albums are absolutely amazing. And each amazing. one of them has its own uh, real je ne sais quoi, despite only two of those records really being what people know for his early work, which yep. is a real shame. Oh, and <laughs> if I may say, um, fuck everything since Wrecking Ball. With Thank an you. extra fuck you <laughs> to letters to you, see our episode in the archive as to why it's the laziest thing he's ever done and how encouraging him uh, doesn't get us better music. It makes him a lazier musician. So stop it. Yes. Frank, yes. number one. Yeah, I love it. And thank, you. <laughs> thank you for saying that. And I can apply it to the next band too, actually. But listen, yeah. um, oh my God, totally, totally true. First seven albums, so on point. Uh, magic, obviously, in the, in the 2000s. That mm-hmm. was an amazing record, but you're right. Screw everything. Since and Radio Re- Nowhere. Yeah, Radio Nowhere. Screw everything since Wrecking Ball. It stinks. Go view our album on Letters to You. Uh, it's our <laughs> most listened to episode, by the way. And our most uh, hated. Yeah, and our most hated. And and, and Mark's a thousand percent right. Stop encouraging and being fanboys that everything that they put out is amazing because then we won't get better. It's music. not. It's and just it's not. not. Right. right. And Each one of these episodes doesn't get better. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> uh, all right. So number one uh, is Green Day. So Yuki oh. was album three, right? right. At the time, uh, I, I was shocked to hear that the band even had two albums, right? Of course, 10,039 Smooth Ass Happy Hours and Kerplunk. Plunk. Uh, and everyone tried to pass it that uh you know that they knew of those albums they didn't know about those albums they, not every, a fucking clue yeah, not a clue they knew about <laughs> it from dookie like i did they yep. didn't know the band was around since 87 so uh and again similar to mark's sentiment on uh the boss the same thing with green day the, their past couple albums not good no bueno. stop encouraging no bueno. stop encouraging them stop going on the facebook uh their facebook ad and saying that oh this is an amazing record when it's really not because no. all it just doesn't work. Doesn't help. Doesn't help the case. So it doesn't. Doesn't. It doesn't. All right. Feel better. I feel great now. I feel great. <laughs> so, so summer. It's summer, Mark. So next week we're on vacation for a little bit. But tell the good folks at home what we're gonna have lined up when we get on back. Well, when we return, we'll be uh, talking about Keith's long-awaited request, Keith, the Black Pumas' 2019 self-titled debut album. Black Pumas! Keith wanted us to do the extended edition. Um, I don't like to do the extended edition unless that's all we have. Proper albums. Yeah, we're going to do the proper album. Uh, But I think hopefully between kind of the heavy kind of blues rock of Joe Bonamassa, some of the chilled back vibes of the Black Keys, we can kind of put you in the right groove of the Pumas. That and hopefully a little summertime will help mellow you up, buddy. Yeah, man, absolutely. And I think we build up nicely uh, for Uh it. And I I dig that out. We will, and, I <laughs> and I'm glad that we have a. I have a little bit to to digest and listen to this record too, which is going to be fun. Mm-hmm. I'm yep. up for the challenge. I'm up for the challenge. So, hey, yep. listen, thank you everyone out there uh, who has listened. Be sure to like, subscribe, rate, review. Most importantly, stay safe. Yeah. Hey, look, just because we're off doesn't mean we won't be checking all those fun social media spots we keep telling you about. What? So keep up the conversation. Leave us a recommendation. Now say it with me, my friends. <laughs> oh, my, my. Oh, hell yes. Oh, bye-bye.
<laughs> like Recording. Recording has ended, Frank. Why are you still talking?